right, welcome to this week's episode of Build Value by Choice. I am your host, Nana Bonsu, President and CEO of Infinite Horizons Incorporated. Our website is www.infhorizons.com. The website for this podcast is www.infhorizons.com forward slash podcast. Every week, we bring to you a different guest to talk about various topics of interest to the small business owner. Our goal is to put the business owner on equal footing as the big business owners who are finding different ways of buying small businesses at below market value. This week, I have with me uh, Jason Pittman. Jason is the president and CEO of Exit Advisory. He is a business broker and a certified value builder advisor. His main focus is in the areas of industrials and the manufacturing industry. Jason resides with his family in the Chicago suburbs in the state of Illinois. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you, Nana. I think this is like your third appearance on the show, isn't it? Yeah, I so, think so. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we Appreciate like you, you on the show. Uh, asking me back. <laughs> yeah, we like you on this show. You're a fountain of knowledge, obviously. Um, oh, my pleasure. The one thing that I wanted to talk to you about was this newly released Biz Buy Sell Insights Report. Biz Buy Sell, uh, for, the, for our audiences, is basically a, an, an association that looks at um, small business transactions and, you know, just the buying and the selling of businesses. And they have a, a report out, an insights report out that discuss the various things that are going on in the industry. They've done business surveys of business owners, business buyers, and business brokers, basically the middleman between the buyers and the sellers. And so I wanted to talk to Jason because not only is Jason a certified value builder, but he's also a business broker. So he has a lot of knowledge when it comes to this market. Now, Jason, the, the, one of the quotes that I saw from the report, and I'm going to read for you here, and then I'm going to try and get, I want to get your sentiment on this. It says here that many business brokers surveyed expressed uh, improved market conditions in 2021, uh, with 62% reporting higher transactions than in the previous year, right? And only about, over half of the business brokers who were interviewed uh, attributed the growth to the strong demand for businesses that thrive during the pandemic. So if you were tough enough to be able to survive the pandemic, chances are you were doing something right. And therefore, um, business owners were, were, business buyers were more likely to give you a look. The other reason, uh, about 46% also um, mentioned that the increase in small business administration aid programs there's the low, um, the low interest rates, and also a lot of people resigning from corporate America to try and become entrepreneurs. All those contributed to small business uh, purchases um, increasing last year. Um, would you share with us what your observation was from, a, uh, from where we were in the pandemic um, to where we are now? Yeah, that sounds about... Right to me, I don't have any stats that I keep myself, but the stats they're talking about seem to check out from my conversations. I would say there's there's more demand for businesses. Um, it's it's definitely a seller's market, and I think it has been a while, especially in business brokerage, because there's a lot of money out there looking for deals, and there's also a lot of private equity groups. And that kind of activity has only grown. So not only are there more private equity groups, there are more 
private equity that are looking at smaller transactions that are kind of borderline main street deals. And then there's search funds, they call themselves, where they're basically people looking for their first deal and they're probably being financed by a private equity group. So there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of demand. And um, that kind of demand only um, has increased year by year, even through the pandemic. Um, but the one thing that uh, I noted in that, I think one of the points was the uh, people were looking for businesses that were doing well during the pandemic, whereas I found the opposite personally, this is just anecdotal, but I've personally encountered people that were worried about revenues that were higher because of the pandemic, especially if you think about the landscaping industry, mm -hmm. uh, anything to do with flowers, garden centers, uh, crop production, more of like horticulture related because people were staying at home, people were spending more money on these things. So businesses was, are having banner years in some cases in those industries. And there's actually buyers suspicious of those revenues actually being sustainable if things get back to normal, as it were. Um, but th th that was kind of my take on those things. But yeah, for the no, most part, I, I think the, the activity checks out. That's how it feels to me. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's actually very interesting. Interesting kind of a counter, kind of intuitive kind of way of looking at it. So right. what 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 were some of the besides the fact that like some of these horticultural um, companies that just quote unquote got lucky uh, or just just <laughs> you can right. call you can call it seasonality because everybody was home and they wanted to make their uh, landscape look good. What are some of the other factors? What are some of the other disciplines? Right, you know, if you were to to do a study of, um, you know, kind of a comparative study between the companies that did well and the ones that did not do so well. What are some of the disciplines the, um, that well, one side had that the other didn't have and that didn't have that caused them to mm -hmm. do well versus the other? Yeah, I think their ability to adapt, uh, adapt their business model, you know, for example, Zoom, you know, before the pandemic started, I never used Zoom for anything. And it's that's a perfect example of how a lot of businesses might adapt where some people they suffered because they couldn't get on-site sales or presence but they waited a year <laughs> to explore zoom and you know maybe they looked at it as like a flash in the pan so people that adapted quickly and tried new things uh, people that embraced telecommuting and let their support staff work from home you know, these are the people that you know, didn't run into employment issues and have people leaving, uh, finding that flexibility to keep the employees happy, keep operations going. Uh, in some cases, if they're a service business, you know, they productized their services. So they came up with flat rate approaches or tiered approaches to selling something that would normally have been billable hours. You know, so once the pandemic started, people start tightening their belts. They're going to get more conservative and frugal. So that's one thing. Uh, in addition to that, people decided to come up with contracts. Mm -hmm. You know, let's let's get people to sign one-year contracts, two-year contracts, monthly auto-renewing contracts. It's another way uh, businesses that were thriving were that's something they were implementing. And uh, curbside and delivery options. You know, if they're a little bit more retail. 
food and beverage. I had mentioned even in the horticulture industry, there's a greenhouse plant nursery I'm working with right now. That's one of the things they started doing during the pandemic. You can go on their website, order their flowers that they grow, pull up in the parking lot and they bring them out to you. And, you know, they, they've been doing great the past couple of years. Um, so th- those are some of the things that I've been seeing all oh, that and ma- making sure there's a pipeline of talent, mm-hmm. you know, because what's the, the number one complaint people have had most of the last couple of years, it's finding new employees yeah. and retaining them. But some of the clients I've worked with that I really admire what they did. They went out and established relationships with schools and community colleges and trade organizations. So they could start getting on the radar of young people that don't want to go to a four-year university and can go right from high school into helping you run a machine. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're, you're helping them out with their classes during the day. That's, that's a big one, I think. Um, but yeah, th- those are the main things that come to mind. And um, I also saw that there was, looks like they were saying that there was an increase in inventory this year, for, both on the buy and the sell side. I'm not sure if that's that's what you also seen, um, you know, uh, on your side. It, yeah, I think so. Yeah, what what do you think is causing that though? Um, well, on the buy side, it kind of goes to a couple of things I mentioned early on. There's more private equity. That's part of it. Mm-hmm. The other thing on the buy side is this great resignation, as it were. People are leaving their jobs for a variety of reasons. It's a lot of people looking to buy a job. So maybe they've had a long career in corporate America. They got laid off. Maybe they quit and they're going to buy a business and it's going to be their job is running that business, taking over the owner's role. Um, so between private equity and that right there, we'll explain the increase in buyers. And then on the sell side, it's similar. Uh, you have a lot of people just wanting to quit <laughs> the great resignation. People are burnt out, want to do something different. Uh, and then there is the silver tsunami, which is the baby boomer generation is now in retirement mode. And every year, a lot of people from this segment of the population are choosing to retire, sell their businesses, and you know when you add it all up, it's just a lot of activity going on. It's a perfect storm. Yeah. Now there there was also a segment of the study, uh, the report that said that mostly the um, service, um, most of the preference for uh, buyers was uh, service industry companies. Now I know in Illinois they have wood manufacturing and and, and services. What are you seeing in terms of um, the kind of industry? For instance, they had like the top preference was uh, 37%, right? Uh, for service, uh, the service sector companies, and then you had restaurants, uh, 26%, and the wholesale distributors at 25%. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, you talk about uh, resistant businesses like pandemic resistant businesses like liquor stores. Everybody gets drunk already. They drink their problems away, right? Gas stations, other repair shops, e right. businesses. Um, it just wanted to kind of see, you know, what, what are you saying? Uh, or, or, you know, I don't know if it's just uh, from your state or just in general. Just what are you saying? Mm-hmm. What type of businesses are you uh, are selling in general, selling the quickest? Yeah, I, I think 
it's the ones that are going the quickest are always going to be food and beverage and more consumer services. So like car washes, auto repair, they're simpler businesses. They're always in demand. It's a commodity. And some of them might've done well because of the pandemic. Some of them, maybe not so much, but those are the businesses that are going to go quick. And from my perspective, I I haven't seen too much of a change there from normal years. I think I see more of a change on the on the buy side. I feel like there's just more buyers. There's there, there's more money than deals. It's kind of a phrase you might hear, or some version of that. Where there's a lot of people with cash. They're not even looking for a bank. You know, they're ready to go. They're just looking for the right opportunity. Um, but there's a lot of unsaleable businesses or unrealistic expectations. Um, you know, there, there, there's a lot of things that need to line up. Yeah. So, I mean, I was actually going to, so you, since you already went there, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you this, um, this unrealistic expectations, right? Cause you, you mentioned two things, uh, you know, one is unsellable business. I'm going to get back to that, but this unrealistic expectation, what do you think causes that? And how do we, uh, why do how do we uh, impress upon owners why it's important for them to get annual checkup? In other words, annual valuation. So they this whole misalignment between what they expect to get versus what the buyers are offering them, right? Why are owners not doing these annual valuations or annual checkups so that they don't they prefer to not know and just assume what's going on there? Yeah, that's a good question. That's something I've thought about. And I think part of it is because businesses are, they're different from real estate, even though they're easy for us to kind of in our mind, compare them to a commercial investment property, you know, business is different just because it's not a commodity, you know, there, there's not some underlying land value to it. There's a lot of moving pieces. A lot of it is dependent on the owner to some degree. Um, so I think inherently a lot of business owners understand this. And in addition to that, there's just no culture of educating business owners, right? Mm -hmm. There's no, uh, you know, exit planners as a group are, have increased over the years, you know, because there is a demand for this kind of education. So there's a lot of business owners thinking that there's a there, there's a rule of thumb they heard somewhere in the past of what they think their business might be worth, you know, and now that number's in their mind, and they just figure one day I'm going to sell my business for this, and I'm going to go retire. And the reality is, most of the people in that situation will never get that number. They might not even sell the business; they'll just liquidate it uh, if there's any assets to liquidate. So I think it's really just, it's about informing people and having it become more of the business culture where small business owners go to have regular conversations with their CPAs when it's time to do their year-end uh, reporting. And maybe it starts with the CPAs because that's usually the trusted advisor. Um, 
So maybe it's up to people like you and me to go talk to the CPAs and try to encourage them. You know, it, there needs to be some kind of movement to get people thinking about this sort of thing. And that's one of the things that inspired me to start Exit Advisor rather than just being the traditional business broker. What are some of the tools I can share to help people prepare for the sale and actually increase their chances of selling and increase the value of the business and things like that. But the reality is most people wait until there's a pressing need. They have to sell. It's, not, it's no longer a luxury. It's just they need to sell. And- yeah. yeah. Now, you mentioned that, uh, you know, yeah, you touched on a couple of times, this whole idea of unsellable businesses, right? What is that? What makes a business unsellable? Because a lot of times business owners feel like they've put their blood, sweat, and tears into a, a business for like you know decades, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. they've been told that their business is unsellable, you know, it's not worth much. Mm-hmm. And uh that could be a gut punch. So oh, yeah. what are these what makes a business unsellable? Right. It's a lot of things. It's the the number one thing usually is is the business the owner? You know, do you have a staff? Do you have people that can do uh, the work? Are you the only person? You only have one or two people. That that's going to be the first thing that people will look at um, how they perceive your business. Are they buying an asset that produces income, or are they just buying a job? And that's that's a bitter pill to swallow sometimes, but that's the reality of it. So people are buying the future stream of profits. They don't want to just buy someone's job. And that feeds into how many employees do you have? How many customers do you have? Do you have customers that make up too much of your revenue? If you're making even a million dollars a year, $2 million a year in revenue, but one customer makes up half of that, good luck getting a decent offer, if any, because people are going to see a lot of risk. Mm -hmm. And that's going to tie into the expectations. So if that seller who has one customer that makes up 50% of his revenue has the proper expectations, then yeah, maybe we can make a deal with the right person that can add it on to an existing business. That kind of business clearly is going to be too risky for someone who's counting on it to make a living. Right. Right. So that's one of the first things that's going to make a, a, a small business un sellable is that the reality is most people buying that business are going to need the income to be stable in order to make a living. And even if they're a larger company that are buying you as an add-on to their existing company, it's still not some giant publicly traded company. It's a big risk for them. They need to make sure that there's uh, the business is not too reliant on an individual owner or person. So that's, that's right there is the biggest thing. Second biggest thing is going to be how clean are your financials? Are you actually reporting everything? Um, Are you showing profit? Or do you have to convince a buyer that all these personal expenses that you're deducting are legitimate and how can you substantiate them? Someone's not organized and doesn't have proper bookkeeping and accounting, even though they might be making good revenue. Same thing. Good luck getting someone to be confident and actually going all the way. This so thing about risk, because one of the th- a lot of times um, business owners underestimate risk because it can be very conceptual, you know, right? It's kind of risk, it's almost abstract. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that um 
entrepreneurs and business owners tend to be comfortable with risk because after all, you know, they are entrepreneurs, right? That's mm-hmm. it comes with the territory. Do you right. think that a lot of times that's where they, they can become complacent with this whole idea of risk? Because it's like, you know, you know, I eat risk for breakfast, but there's <laughs> there's a difference between being able to manage risk in your business and an external person looking at your business as a risk because uh, there is no business without the owner being heavily involved or any of the other factors that you just shared. Right. It's, uh, it's, it's like a spectrum of personalities that you're going to run into as a broker where they're going to be so conservative that you, you could bring them the most 100% reported and substantiated business, but they just don't have the, uh, the stomach or the appetite for any kind of risk. You know, they get stuck in some kind of analysis paralysis, and then you're going to have people at the other end where they're uh, they're pretty aggressive. They're willing to take risks, and you know, it's sometimes there's going to be a you're going to find if you have a seller that's one type and a buyer that's the other type. Yeah, they might butt heads because the buyer and their team is always going to have some kind of probing questions, and someone who's more of a devil may care entrepreneur who doesn't have a detailed answer for everything, you know, it's probably going to end up offending that kind of buyer because he's not going to have the patience to uh, explain things to him. Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned, and I even see it in the report, right? You mentioned there's a lot of money out there and they're just looking for good businesses to buy. And unfortunately, some of them tend to be unsellable. And what I see in the report, it says that, um, a lot of these businesses that were sitting on the sidelines during the pandemic, uh, they instead of selling because they realized that they're not going to get the value that they thought they whatever the expectation was, you're not going to meet that expectation. Mm-hmm. And so they're choosing to quote unquote recover. The question is how long is it going to take for them to recover? Do they know what it takes to recover? Uh, so what are you seeing in terms of the number of owners that are you know, choosing to like recover before they get back in the market? What are they doing to recover? And do you think they're going about it the right way versus, for instance, there's somebody getting somebody to kind of help them, you know, shorten the amount of time it takes to recover? Right. I think the, the biggest factor I'm seeing is age. Um, so I can think of a couple of examples where someone's in his 70s. He's not getting much activity. He's not He's gotten a couple of verbal offers. They're not where he would hope them to be, but he also is kind of desperate to sell. Mm-hmm. So this is someone who's decided, all right, it makes more sense to run the business another year or two, work on getting some procedures in place, clean up my financials, show more profit, um, hire a person or two to start delegating my responsibilities to. So when they go back on the market in a couple of years, he's not working 40 or 50 hours a week. He might be working 20 hours a week. And his profit might not have changed much because he's going to have made an investment in new staff, but his revenue will probably have grown a little bit and hopefully maybe even more. So that's the approach most of the ones that are doing it correctly are doing. And then I forget, was there a second part of that question? Yeah. I mean, it was just, just, uh, you know, just, what are they doing to, uh, you know, and, and I think it's about how can they shorten? Is there like a smarter way for them to go about recovering? Because it's not like, you know, you can come back to doing the same thing that you were doing pre-pandemic and quote unquote, you'll recover because mm-hmm. the environment has changed, right? So 
you know, just your thoughts on whether or not they, you know, they're going about their recovery efforts. Yeah. When I, when I was reading that, when I, (laughs) I'm reading it as we need to grow our revenue back and the owner needs to hire a couple new people because now the owner's doing all the work to make up for the fact he lost a couple people, right? right? Now he's working 80 hours a week. That's what I usually see. So when I see recovery, it means they're hiring new people and trying to grow revenue. And, um, Usually when they're doing that, it means taking themselves out of the business too, because you're trying to do both at the same time. Because usually the owner is the main salesperson, if not the only salesperson. So a smart thing for some of these people when they are going into recovery mode is hiring a salesperson and their their plan is to spend a year or more getting this person uh, acclimated and transferring relationships. So the owner is not the one that has to do some of that and they can focus more on the strategic end of the business. And so that's ideal. And some of the folks I've worked with, that's their approach. Um, And the people that are younger that were thinking about selling, but realizing it might be tough to get the price they wanted. It's an easier decision for them, unless there's other personal reasons um, to just, you know, keep running the business for another year or two with the Keep running the business like you were, run it like you want to grow it. And while you're doing that, I'll be uh, looking for buyers for you. And uh, that's, that's the best way to approach it if you have the luxury of uh, time. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and even also the luxury of capital, because you know, mm. you know, being sitting on the sidelines, it just mean, it means that you haven't had capital infusion. So, <laughs> um, you know, uh, chances that you probably couldn't afford the talent, especially with the whole labor shortages, it's probably, you know, more expensive to get the right kind of talent that you need. Right. Um, so, and if you're a smaller business, chances are you don't have that, those kind of margins to be able to afford um, to compete in the labor market. Now, the um, one of the things that perhaps, and what about this whole thing about, for instance, can business owners look into, you know, like partnerships or joint ventures or even acquiring um, um, other smaller companies or startups to help with their labor problems? Because a lot of times, you know, these owners may be looking to hire people, but could instead of doing that, could they like partner with another company? I mean, you mentioned like they can partner with schools. What if they partner with another company or bought another company and leverage their talent pool? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's one of the trends I think I've noticed on the buyer side is that's just now another reason to pay a premium. So I, I feel like that's one of the reasons that might have actually driven the average price up, mm-hmm. the average enterprise value is the fact that not only are you buying the future stream of profits, it's very on top of mind how badly you need more labor. So Mm -hmm. you might acquire a business with 10 technicians, not only for that cash flow, you might be willing to pay a premium because it's a lot easier than trying to find hire and 10 train 10 people uh, right now. It might make more sense just to acquire that business and get the customers with it. You're going to get staff. Um, Yeah. So that, that's a nice additional reason. I, I haven't met anyone yet where that's the main driving factor of acquiring a business, but I would say it's a strong number two now. 
Yeah. So it sounds to me like, you know, in this environment, uh, based on uh, this report and, what, and, and based on your own kind of experience and perspective, that there is a there is a, a booming market for uh, for it's a seller's market, uh, but not all uh, the inventory that, that's out there that is sellable uh, for, because of various reasons. There's mm-hmm. misaligned expectation from this you know, part of owners, and for the most part, some of the key areas you know that um, that are causing some of these misalignments include financial performance, owner dependency. Uh, supply chain disruptions and labor shortages. Mm. Those seems to be the four main areas that that we you know we talked about. Uh, are there any other areas that you've seen as a uh, in a general in any kind of year? There are you know other factors, but these these four seems to be uh, highly prominent. Um, yeah, those, those seem to be the big one. The new one uh, is the supply chain one, just because of everything with the pandemic. But yeah, yeah, yeah I. I can't think of anything offhand in addition to that, but it's you know interesting. So I mean, so I mean, and I haven't said all that. What would be your like, you know, your your parting advice or, or message to owners? Because we talked about um, you know owners setting expectations that are not objective, and they find out that they're not going to get the value that they need. Um, you know, we talked about how. Owners, uh, you know, in the that are in the recovery mode, uh, may take longer because uh, it, you know it may take time to get the uh, the people that they need to be able to free them up. Um, what are some of the um, some advice or some of the things that you mentioned to owners, um, just to kind of help them to kind of navigate the current environment so that they can mm-hmm. take advantage of the. Of the of the a lot of the money uh, that's available from the buyers, right? I think it's it's about talking to your advisors early. I think the number one problem I'm seeing is the conversations don't happen early enough. The conversations don't happen until the seller's already made up his mind that he needs to sell. Realistic, realistically, he should be having those conversations about three to four years prior, if not sooner, talk to your accountant, let them know, I want to sell my business in a few years. Let's start showing more profit. You know, because most accountants, their job is to help make sure you pay a fair share of taxes, help you take advantage of loopholes that might be applicable. So most of the times accountants are in, you know, more of a conservative mindset, trying to defend your bottom line and keep you from paying too much in taxes. But what that usually means is taking certain deductions, writing certain things off. Uh, you know, the bottom line is start showing more profit. Don't write off your various personal expenses that might not <laughs> be legitimate to begin with. There's a lot of gray area there, but people, business owners write off all kinds of stuff that are personal expenses. Just do less of that. That's a big one. And that's something that's going to happen if you just up front with your account and say, I want to sell my business in a few years. Let's get out of the mode of minimizing taxes. Let's get into the mode of showing more profit so we can increase value. And at the same time, have a conversation like that with an attorney, someone who's done transactions, or at least someone who can help you take a look at your entity and maybe 
start helping you get prepared for a sale that way. So it's about talking to your accountant, talking to an attorney, talk to an exit planner um, and, or business broker. You want to have a few people that you start talking to because they're all going to they're all going to give you some advice that you can incorporate now years ahead of the sale. And believe me, it's, it's going to be worth it. And, and in most cases, it's simple stuff that they're going to, that you could get just from a free consultation, just go have a meeting with them and they're going to give you an idea. Here's a checklist of things you should be aware of and that you can start implementing in your business. So that's the main thing is talk to your accountant, talk to your attorney, find a broker, find an exit planner. Just get the conversation going because you don't want to wait till the last minute. That's for sure. You, you need a few years, ideally. Yeah. And, and, and that has been a, sometimes been the challenge, right? Which is how do we make sure that owners understand that, hey, um, you know, this is, you know, this is as urgent as it's going to be. It may not show up on your to-do list, but it's something that you want to be doing like right away. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just because, you know, like you say, before you know it, three years is, is come and gone and you haven't you know, prepared your business. And um, you, know, you set yourself up for disappointment. Yeah. And then there's always people that they're selling their business because something unexpected happened. So even if you're not approaching retirement, it doesn't hurt to do this stuff on a regular basis because if you get ill, if you get burnt out, whatever the reason is that forces you to sell your business. These are things you'll have already taken care of, you know, the things you should be doing if you want your business to be an asset and not a job. Yeah. And ideally, this should be just like, you know, we all get like annual, you know, physical checkups. You know, businesses should be getting mm-hmm. annual valuation checkups too, right? Right. And, um, and, you know, we offer, I'm going to put in a plug, we offer free valuation for businesses. So, uh, you know, you can get them, them for free. Uh, or you can, you know, pay tens of thousands of dollars you know, for it. Uh, but ideally, you can, you know, get a free valuation. You can speak with some of these other advisors, like your accountant and your lawyer, and whatnot, to at least get you to start thinking about things the right way, so you can know what are some of the things that you may need to start doing now uh, mm-hmm. to get you ready for three or five years out. Yeah, it doesn't need to cost you anything, frankly. And, you know, unless you want to pay the attorney or accountant just to do something extra for you. But most of what business owners need to hear is free. They just need to take the time to do it. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, thank you again for your time. Uh, How can uh, business owners uh, get in contact with you if if they want to follow up with you and uh, have more conversation? Yeah. Exitadvisor.org. Or you can look me up on LinkedIn, Jason Pittman, or my firm, Exit Advisor. Those are probably the easiest ways. Okay, awesome. We're going to have all that information also in the show's notes. So um, um, thank you very much. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, You can, again, follow up on the uh, show's website, www.infhorizons.com forward slash podcast. And there is a get free valuation button on the top right in yellow. You can go ahead and and hit that and uh, we'll get you a free valuation and even a complimentary phone call to follow up with that. Thanks everyone. Till next week. Bye for now.